The following sermon is from Four Mile Creek Baptist Church in Moss Point, Mississippi. It is our prayer that you encounter Jesus during this message and that you be transformed by His truth. To learn more about Four Mile Creek, visit us online at fourmilecreek.org. Every one of you here today, I'm, they called in the relief preacher, so I'm here to fill in. Hopefully I do a good job. Um, today we'll be in Psalm 119. We'll be looking at verses 81 through 88. And that's Psalm 119, 81 through 88. We're just going to continue as I preach to go through this Psalm 119. There's 100, like 170-something verses, so we'll get through it eventually. Maybe two years from now, three years from now, but we'll, we'll finally finish. As you turn over here, let's have a quick word of prayer. Father, we thank you today for being a big God who loves us, one who's in complete control, one who's not surprised at anything that's going on, whether it be in our life or in the lives of others. Lord, you are a God who has placed us here today to hear from you, to, to, to hear from your spirit as he intervenes in our life, as he moves in our heart to make confession that you are God and we're not, and that our lives should be lives that serve you and obey you and live a life that's worthy of the calling that we have for your glory. Lord, help that to be our prayer and our mindset as we go forward and study. And Lord, we just pray that you would teach us in a, in a mighty, mighty, mighty way. Father, we pray and ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You see, life often throws us a number of curveballs. We'll, we'll stay on the baseball, I guess, analogy at this point. And it doesn't matter what precautions you take. It doesn't matter how hard you try to, to put your life together and have everything in place, how hard you, you work to try to be healthy, as some of us have discussed this morning. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are, or how comfortable you are with your, your family or your friends. Uh, it doesn't matter how successful you find yourself in your career or even your retirement. Something seems to always come along and try to ruin it. Something always comes along and tries to throw a, 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 I guess it's a monkey wrench into the plans? Not a monkey into the wrench, a monkey wrench into the plans. There we go. I believe our songwriter today would wholeheartedly agree to this statement. So let's read along and see what he says. In verse 81, he says, my soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have, forgotten, I have not forgotten your statutes. How long must, you, must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. They have almost, they have almost made an end of me on the earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. In your steadfast love, give me life, that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. Here in Psalm 19, the, the psalmist has uh, sought to be faithful. He's been trying to live this life of obedience, one that, that honors his, his God that's called him. He's tried to live in a way that as he walks through this life, through the thick and thin of it, God is the one who gets glory for what's happening. And the question is, where has it gotten him? Where has it gotten him through, through all of this thick and thin where he's, he's stuck by God's word and he's trying to live? Well, verse 83 tells us he feels like his life is about to go up in smoke. In 80, verse 87, he feels like his life on earth is coming to its very end. 
And if you and I were going to look at Psalm 119 as a whole, and we were to pick out the one stanza that seems the darkest, this stanza, Cough, is the midnight hour. This is where the the road really gets tough, where the verses bring to the forefront what darkness in this world really looks like as the believer who is pursuing God encounters it. But even with all of the darkness that's there, we find a promise, a promise at the end that God is still with him, that there is this new day dawning, that God is a God in which he can call out to for help, a God in which he can hope. And it's the same hope that waits for you and me today, that's available for you and I as we go through this road, even though we can't see it, and the darkness seems thick, and the the, the night seems long, and there may be those who oppose us, the promise of a new day will dawn. You see, there may even be people out there plotting doom, plotting destruction, plotting persecution, setting pitfalls and traps. But the reality is we have a God who has given us everything that we need. You see, it's in his steadfast love that God has sent his son, has sent a savior that will give us life. And it's through the faithfulness, the declaration of God's word that we're told about him, that we're told how to honor him and how to live this life. So the psalmist finds himself in the valley. But the mountaintop is right there. The way to get to it is right there. So what lessons does the Spirit have for us today in these verses? Well, first, brothers and sisters, I think the the most important point we arrive at at the very beginning is you and I have to admit that we cannot go through this life alone, that you and I desperately need the Lord And the fact is, you don't really know that God is the only thing you need until he's the only thing that you have. When everything is taken out from under you, when this road of suffering comes, this road of anxiety or or confusion or despair or disappointment, or when evil begins to, to sink in, when pain comes, when trials are there, when the darkness is dark and dark and dark, You see, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, I think these words resound with familiarity because they describe us. The psalmist is no different from us. He is a human just trying to go through this life and honor God, and things get tough. And the fact is, we experience a life that can be tough, especially when we try to push and pursue the things of God. You see, the Christian life, this road to discipleship, it's not a a fairy tale. It is a take up your cross and be persecuted and suffer and follow me daily, following in the footsteps of a Savior who suffered, not a Savior whose path was just perfect, where everything was, was jubilation and joy and, you know, he was getting back massages and pedicures and manicures. That's not the Jesus we serve. You see, the Christian life isn't a playground. It's a war. It's the front lines. The Christian life isn't a summer vacation. You 
You see, if you and I are to make it through the, the perils of this track, of this, this walking, this road of, of discipleship and suffering, we can't do it without God. We can't make it down this road without admitting our whole dependence on Him for our success. Because it's the, the crucial component. It is a primary component. It is a non-negotiable, essential, that a Christian must admit. It's a, it's, a, it's a fact that we must submit to. As a matter of fact, you don't even come to, you, you can't even become a Christian without admitting your dependence on God for salvation. And then once you are saved, it's about living that life, about living it out every day in the flesh to bring him glory. And you can't do that in and of yourself. You see, our psalmist says, Lord, I need you. And he does so in a few ways. He, he says, first, Lord, my soul longs for you. Look at verse 81. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. And so he begins by expressing, hey, this is the dire need that's in my life. The very essence of who I am longs for you. The NIV puts it this way. My soul faints as I long or as I wait for your salvation. So there's this clear sense of urgency. He's in trouble. It, it, you can see that through this cry, the situation has moved from just being unpleasant to being very critical. There's a real need for, for God to intervene and not just to come along whenever. He needs God to intervene and to do so quickly. And so stanza after stanza throughout this whole Psalm 119, the, the author has spoken of this horrible treatment that he's received. And to make matters worse, it's come at the hands of those people who dislike him, of those who, who oppose him and he's, how he's trying to live. In verse 42, he, he's taunted. They make fun of him. In verse 51, they mock him. In verse 61, he is bound. In verse 69, he was smeared. In verse 78, we find him being wronged. Even here in this stanza, he is still being attacked by the arrogant, by those who are insolent. We can sense that the, the songwriter is feeling overwhelmed. It's a, it's a little too much for him to, to carry. And if God doesn't save him, the question is, how's he ever going to make it? Anybody ever feel like that sometimes? If God doesn't intervene in my life, how am I ever going to make it? You see, the only hope that this songwriter has is in his Lord and in the word that he gives. And so he makes a declaration of faith. He says, God, this is who I'm going to be. He, he, he voices his trust in the midst of all this pain that he's going through, he says, I put my hope in your word. He's saying, Lord, I'm longing for your deliverance. And that drives me to your word because I know in your word I can find truth. In your word I can find hope. In your word I can find that I'm not alone in this life, that I'm not left to try to figure it out by myself. The fact is, he's found what we already know to be true. And if you don't know it to be true, then, hey, you live this Christian life long enough and you will know it to be true. That anything in life, no matter how bad, no matter which direction it comes from, if it drives us to God's word, it's a good thing. Yeah. It's a thing that God is using to, to teach us this dependence. And so he declares, God, I depend on you. I need you, God. 
He says, not only does my soul long for you and for the deliverance that your salvation offers, he says, my eyes are looking for him to come help. In verse 82, he says, my my eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? And so the, the longing of the soul found in 81 has now shifted and it now moves to the, the eyes, these, these very desperate eyes that are looking. And the idea is much the same. The psalmist, the psalmist says, just as my soul has hoped in your word, my eyes long for the promise. And if you take it literally, it reads this way, Lord, my eyes grow weary. Lord, my eyes fail as I look to the horizon and I don't see salvation coming. When I look out and I'm looking for your promise, I'm fatigued. Lord, I am, I'm worn out. All because this promise I've been waiting for has not come. We talked about that a little bit in our Sunday school this morning, didn't we? That's the shameless plug for Sunday school. If you don't go to Sunday school, go join a Sunday school group because you can learn some stuff. And God inevitably always puts a wonderful lesson in that Sunday school moment that rolls over into the sermon where you just get to build on it. And it's not coincidence. That's what God does. That's what the Spirit does. The psalmist says, Lord, you said you would save me. Where are you? Where are you, Lord? Nothing's changed. I've looked near. I've looked far. There's no relief in sight. And you and I would expect the same question that the psalmist gives. He's distraught. And in his despair, he he asked from the heart, Lord, when will you comfort me? In other words, he's saying, uh, I look to you and only to you for comfort. And Lord, if you're not going to provide it to me, I'll never have it. It'll never come my way. And again, if you've been a a Christian for any length of time, you know the struggle. the, The experience of you waiting for God to provide relief driving you again to dependence, driving you and teaching you lessons that you would never learn in any other circumstance because you're too hard-headed to go read your Bible and learn them yourself. Sometimes God's got to curtail you and drive that lesson home in you. Verse 83, the psalmist continues. He, He continues his confession of dependence. And he says, Lord, my life depends on you. Verse 83, for I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. And so the picture of verse 83 is striking. Here's this this old dried out, this cracked wineskin that's hung up by a fire and then forgotten about. He says, Lord, that's who I am. I'm cracked. I'm I'm falling to pieces. It's like I've been put up and, and, and no one's thought about me. And here comes these, these, this flame, this smoke. It's, it's dried me out. This suffering has, has come my way. And Lord, I'm becoming useless. Lord, I'm, a, I'm of no value. The fact is, it doesn't matter where you are or what suffering has come your way or whether or not you've been hung up by a fire for a season. It does not matter if you're cracked and you're wore out and you're dry and you're smoked up. It doesn't matter because you still have value. 
Because God determines your value. You don't determine your value. The world doesn't determine your value. You see, God sees you as valuable. God desires relationship with you. He desires to love you. He desires to be the one who comes to your rescue when you need him. He's the one that wants to take you when you think, I have nothing left to give or I'm inadequate. I don't know enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not the person that, that anybody else would pick. God has chosen you for a reason to reach people with his gospel. He has chosen you because nobody else will fit your spot in his plan for his kingdom to bring him glory. Don't let your circumstances define your value. I tell you, I'm amazed every day at the plans that God has for me. That the use for me, even in the small, what's the seemingly small and insignificant, is something that God has planned from the beginning of time to happen. And you say, well, I don't feel like God can use me that way. You're wrong. Not only are you wrong, but God has chosen to use people just like you that way. You see, in spite of everything that is happening to this psalmist, he hasn't forgotten. He hasn't turned away from the word that God has given. He says, I will not forget your statutes. Your word remains in, in me, God. He's saying, I'm down, but I'm not out I don't understand all that's going on, but what I will do is I will stay the course. I will stay with you to the very end. I will keep recalling your words. I'll keep living according to your statutes. And there's a very beautiful truth here, right? From every direction, these arrogant, these insolent, and every time they, they're categorized as the same way. They don't care about God's word. They don't care about God. They don't care about his people. Right? We know some people like that. Right? We, we, generally, that's the, the sinful, evil people in the world. They disregard God's instruction. They disregard the reality that they are born into sin and that they need to repent and they need to trust him and that Jesus is the only way to salvation. These are the people that he's talking about. The truth is, when those kind of people affront you, when they assail you, what do you want to do? You want to punch them in the face. Right? You want to kick them in the shins. You want to stoop to their level, use their language, do the same thing, return evil for evil. But the psalmist doesn't do that. The psalmist recognizes the very real truth that God will be the one who sets things right. That God will be the one who, who avenges everything in the end. He, he, while Paul, didn't, Paul wasn't there 
at, or Paul hadn't written at this time, um, it, there's a very beautiful truth that he's allowing God to do this work. And this leads us into what the psalmist tells us next. He says, because he's going to let God take care of it, he says, God, um, here are my concerns. And it's okay to voice and identify your concerns to God. The Bible teaches that suffering is rough, right? We know from experience suffering is rough. And at times it can be overwhelming that it's real. It, it doesn't seem fair. That it's all, but at the end of the day, what we can't agree on is that suffering is altogether meaningful. Because through it, God is pressing us to, to, to dive deep into his word. God is pushing us to lean wholly into uh, his love to carry us through. You see, that it's, if we suffer rightly, there's purpose behind it. There's spiritual maturity that we gain from it. There's a, 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 an example of us living rightly for other believers in the midst of suffering that the Spirit uses to say, hey, this can be done. Lean and trust into God. And so verses 84 through 87, they revolve around this, the psalmist as he cries out for help. But the psalmist, before he gets there, he lists out these very specific uh, instances of where uh, he's distressed. He's saying, Lord, I'm, I've been faithful. Lord, I've done all the right things and look where, I, look where I'm at. I'm confused. God, I'm confused as to how this worked out. I'm kind of disappointed that I am here now. And I think, you know, suffering, it's okay to tell God, hey, God, I'm disappointed that I'm suffering, right? Because it's rough. He's saying, I'm hurting on the inside. So what does he do? He tells God about it. He identifies precisely what's going on. He tells God, hey, this is what's happening in life, in my life. And I can, I can imagine being a parent, right? When your kids come to you and say, hey, you know, I'm struggling with this, or hey, this is not living up to my standards and my expectations. Kelly and I have, you know, our youngest son, Nate, and we just discussed this and uh, yesterday. <clears throat> Nate has gotten a bed, right? A big bed, because he's a big boy now, you know, he's got, he doesn't have the race car bed anymore, you know, the Crayola, <laughs> the Lightning McQueen. He never had, he didn't have a race car bed. I'm just picking but he's, he's got, you know, like a, a full or queen or whatever it is. You know, he's got, he's got a big bed. And he has the smallest bedroom in the house. Well, at the same time, he has an L-shaped desk that he has put in there. And, you know, it's, he had it oriented in such a way that it looked fine to me and Kelly. But to him, he was upset with it. Because it just didn't work the way that he wanted it to work. And so even hearing that, and I didn't even hear him say it, but to hear it secondhand, my heart hurts because my son is disappointed. And I can only imagine that when God hears us, say, God, this is where I'm struggling, that everything else sits to the side and God listens patiently. Now, I'll have to tell my son that when he gets home, he's just going to have to deal with it because he wanted the big bed and he bought the desk. <clears throat> so sometimes God doesn't give you the answer that you want to hear, but it's the answer that you need, 
right, that sometimes life doesn't always smell like roses. So in 84, the psalmist says, Lord, I need your help to endure those who persecute me. And 84 is comprised of of two questions. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? And these questions bear the very lament of the songwriter's soul. And you could even flip these questions into statements and arrive with the psalmist saying, Lord, I've suffered enough. Lord, I've, I've endured persecution enough. When will you do something about it? And quite frankly, if we were in the psalmist's place, because we've been in this place before, when, when our response to God is, you know, when we say these things, God intervene, uh, right now would be the best time. I don't need another month of this. I don't need another day. I don't need another week. You see, the psalmist is living out trust in God. He's saying, uh, God, you know, I may want to go punch these people in the face or I may not want to be in this moment, but God, this is is in your timetable. It's not mine. And I'm just going to simply share my heart with you. And I'm going to let you solve it. So he says, God, help me to endure those who persecute. And help me to endure those who are insolent. And this other word is can, for insolent could be arrogant. He says, the insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your word. You see, they don't care about God's word. They don't care about God's people. They've tracked him down like he's an animal. And not only have they tracked him down and found out where he operates, they've gone out and dug pitfalls. Not one, not a pit for him. They have set multiple traps, multiple snares. And so these arrogance come at him again and again from every angle. We've seen it throughout the whole of the psalm, and they're relentless. Their goal is to to take him down, and he's even to the point uh, through several of these where he says, I feel like they're trying to take me out, that it's the, the end of the end for me. Now, the Bible says that you and I as believers should live lives that are above reproach, that we should live lives that are, that are holy. And if you want to avoid the pitfalls and the snares in your life um, for the, that comes your way from the, the adversary or whether it be for, from others, you need to learn to live in God's word. You need to learn to live and lean on the Holy Spirit. So what's the difference between the psalmist and those who laid the traps out for him? Here, verse 85, the psalmist says, they don't live according to your law. Lord, they don't care about your law. They disregard your instruction. The the psalmist says, Lord, I recognize that in my life, if I want my family to reflect uh, who you've called me to be, if I want my my service to you to live up to that, that standard, if I want my reputation to reflect the heart that you've put in me as your follower, then Lord, I need your help. I need your help to live according to your law. So he needs God's help to endure persecution. He needs God's help to to get away from these pitfalls that are dug for him. And he needs God's help to endure the lies that come his way. Look at verse 86. He says, all your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. 
And the only thing the psalmist can do is completely rely on God and the promises that are found in his word. The psalmist knows that God's word is sure, that it's true and altogether trustworthy. He affirms the the conviction that's in his heart. He says, all your commandments are sure. In other words, Lord, your commandments, your commands are true. Lord, your word is without error. Lord, your word will never lead me wrongly in this path of life. It won't take me to the left when I should go to the right. It will always keep me on the right path. He says, Lord, while I live according to your word, what I found is the arrogant out there are persecuting me. And how do they do so? They do so with falsehoods. They begin to heap lies upon lies, and here they are weighing on my shoulder. And he says, how am I going to fight this? Because it's hard to fight against the gossip and the lies that people have out there about you. Right? How do you diminish someone's character? Well, you put, you put enough lies out there and people start to believe it. This is where our, our songwriter finds himself. So it's the same way you and I would fight these things as we run to God and we say, God, help me. Help me, Lord. And so his prayer is short. These words are, are very few, but we can see that there's a lot of meaning that's packed in them. He, he's being persecuted. He's, uh, he needs help avoiding these snares in life. He's trying to continue steadfastly while others are bringing accusations against him. And the only hope he has is for God. The fact is, hurt will come our way, but it doesn't matter if God, it doesn't matter that hurt comes our way if God is there to help us. You see, if God helps us, what harm can actually come to us? Paul uses some of these words. I know from my life that, and I don't think it's difficult to, to imagine, that century upon century, this prayer of help me has probably come off the lips of so many Christians. And I imagine at some point in your life, <clears throat> you've uttered these words too uh, to God. Help me, Lord. Help me in my time of need. Help me in my pain. Help me in my distress. Help me in my suffering. Lord, I'm altogether weak. I can't go on. Lord, help me. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter you know, where you grow up or where you come from. This prayer of help is something that we all have uttered. So the psalmist goes on. He says, Lord, help me endure persecution. Help me endure the insolent. Help me endure all the lies. Lord, help me also to endure their viciousness. So verse 87, he says, the arrogant have... Uh, the arrogant have hounded him and persecuted him. And verse 87 reads, they have almost made an end of me on earth. Still, he will not forsake his God. He will not forsake his testimony because I have not forsaken your precepts. You see, he's committed. To the very end, he's resolved in himself that he will follow God, that he will trust him, that he will obey him. You see, the enemies want to come and they want to bury him. They want to get rid of him. But he, he remembers the God who's called him and the God that can provide for him. You see, verse 88 caps us off. It tells us that that new day is here. It reads, in your steadfast love, give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. You see, the life that God offers you and me is not just a life of mere existence. It's a life that comes with purpose. It's a life that comes with abundance. 
is a life that comes with, with a fullness. You see, his offer is one that you, that you and I have always longed for but could never achieve on our own. It's a, it's a life that's marked with, with pain and suffering. And it's a, without God, it's a path that you and I couldn't walk down uh, by ourselves. But we have two things that God gives us. Two things in this life that we can run to and that we can trust. And the first is his love. There's a little song that we teach kids that, encaps- that captures a simple truth. It is, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You see, Jesus' love is all-encompassing. It has no limitations for those who trust in him. And the psalmist may have endured a a very terrible time. Uh, uh, It may be suffering and injustice that he's going through. He's been lied about, maybe even beaten. Um, Whatever has come his way, his hope still is in God. It's in his, his life. And when we talk about the, the verses here, in your steadfast love, give me life. There's more there than what we realize because the steadfast love is the love that God, is, that God talks about all throughout the Old Testament where it, when he chooses his people, it's out of this steadfast love where he looks on Abraham with favor, when he looks on Sarah with favor, when he, when he looks on all of these, all of these stories, it's, it's the love that's talked about when Ruth is filled, when Naomi is filled and included in this, in this messianic line. Every Old Testament story of God showing love that's undeserved to his people, right? This is the language that's used here. And it's because of God's steadfast love that we're offered the Savior, Jesus. Because in God's steadfast love, where he's not forgotten humanity, but provides a way for salvation, that at the right time, he might become the just and the justifier of the righteous. It is through this steadfast love that God makes this provision. So God's, <clears throat> we have his love, where he gives us life in his son, and we have the testimonies that he gives us that we keep in our mouth and that we, or the testimonies of his mouth that we keep in this life as we live it out in this world. So basically the psalmist is saying, Lord, your words guide me. They inform me how to live. Um, your love and your word, these are, are two gifts that help me out in this battle. Your love motivates me to live a certain way and your word tells me how to live in that way. You see, today Jesus came and died for you and me. And I think this psalm gives us a clear picture that God's love and his word is there to tell us all about it. So if today you haven't accepted Jesus as your savior, you will have time to do so. If you're going through some kind of suffering in this life and you just need to cry out to him and tell him what it's all about, he's there to listen to you. If you'd like to come forward and have me pray with you, I'd love to do that. You can pray right where you are. There's God's there listening to you, waiting on you. But whatever you need, you come today. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we pray that you would just move in a, a great and mighty way. Lord, we thank you that you're a God who 
um, shows us a great mercy and a great love even when we don't deserve it. And Lord, we thank you that even in the, the difficult times in life that we can come to you and just express ourselves um, and you're there to hear us and to carry us through. Lord, today have your way in our, our hearts and our lives and we pray and ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you again for choosing the podcast of Four Mile Creek Baptist Church. To learn how to have a relationship with Jesus, simply click the Jesus tab on our website at fourmilecreek.org. Until next week, may you continue to follow Jesus and make him known in the everyday stuff of life.